Sermons K Talk YA now presents God's Grave, Part 1, from the Nevernight Chronicles by J. Kristoff. M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in The Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. This second book is called God's Grave. And we read up to chapter, what was it, 18? 18, yep. Okay. And what was that one called again? Gloria? Gloria. Yeah, yes. Gloria. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's where we left off. It was kind of a bad place to stop. Well, not bad, but you're like in the middle. It was the worst place to <laughs> a battle. stop. battle. Stop. Oh my God. It was like... I was so tempted to keep reading. Well, although, although, okay, I will say we end where she's like battling this massive worm in an arena, but the next chapter is called Gloria. So I was like, being eaten by a giant worm is not Gloria. So I think she's going to come out of it okay. Well, it's interesting because, like, right at the – so we're totally jumping to halfway through. Hopefully you guys all read up to there. Um, right at this point, she's, like, trying to use her darkened magic to freeze mm-hmm. it or, you know, like, use its shadow against it like she does with people. And it's responding really oddly. So I'm, like, curious what that means or what's going to happen. Does she have more control of it or less <laughs> control of it? I'm, like, kind of confused. But it, it's sort of like when she's in the – with, like, the sand crack and stuff, and, like, they are drawn to the dark magic or whatever. I feel like there's something more going on. I totally agree. But all that happened so far is she accidentally freed it. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I love how she has these, like, 80% cooked plans. Or She's really good yeah. at thinking on her feet, I guess, but... It's just, and I, I don't really know what she should do better. It's not necessarily like more time would help. She's kind of doing what she can with the information she has, but it's just funny because it's sort of like, well, I thought this far and then hopefully it'll work out. <laughs> the rest will just fall into place. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. It's just funny. Agreed. Um, shall we talk about the start of the book? Like where it begins, timeline compared to last book. What's, let's set the scene right now for God's Grave. Yeah. So we ended the last book with, I thought it was a good ending. I thought, I, I like that there's like a difference. It's not like the next day. We're basically starting Agreed. four months in the future from the end of the first book. So Mia's officially a blade. Ashlyn was alive and got away. And <laughs> she's on her first assignment. Yeah. And she's like, I guess maybe it's more than four months in the future. I don't, or I don't, it's eight months in the future, right? I think something like that. Yeah. And then it's telling two timelines that are four months apart. It's doing that flashback thing again. I know, yeah. So that is something that we get a repeat of from last book, where the italics are like things that happened in the past and the non-italics are present. Um, I didn't mind that so much because I was like, okay, I'm used to that. For some reason, the footnotes in this book are bothering me. Really? They're not bothering me again. They're just so long. Oh, they're, it's like sometimes the footnotes are half a page of fine print, and I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care. It does bother me when I have to turn the page for it, even if it's not long, mm. but just like I don't mind it if I'm just glancing down at the bottom of the page, but when I have to like flip back and then – or flip forward and then flip back to get back to the story, I don't like that. Yeah. But I do like – I do like the italics and non-italics and like the past and present – 
um, structure because I really enjoyed like the way it opens with that Dwey Mary woman who's like finding Mia wandering in the desert and then like kidnapping her. Mm-hmm. But then you find out that she like wanted to be kidnapped because she once sold to this gladiator ring. Yep. I liked that because I was like, I enjoyed trying to figure out how she got there. I agree. And I think it was kind of like, I think if it had been told chronologically, it would have felt really slow and expensive. But, yeah. you know, but because it was going back and forth and there was that aspect of mystery trying to connect the two storylines, I felt like it flowed better. And I was usually not like upset, like uh, bad, but like it's good. I would know the story. Every time I would switch, I'd kind of be like, "Ooh, I wanted to see what happened in the next scene here. But then I'd get sucked into the other timeline. So and that has to be so hard to write because you have to figure out like what is going on over here? What's going on in the past? What does your main character know versus what doesn't she know at this point? Like. Oh my god, keeping that straight. Yeah, I wonder how people write that. I don't know. I wonder, like, do you write all of it at once and then, like, break it up and mix it up? Or, I don't know. And it's also interesting because, uh, I mean, they always, or it always has to happen to some extent. And we like to wait till all the books are out, so we do read them back to back. But it's fun to see how much they reference the previous book and, like, imagine if I had waited a year for it to come out or something like that. And I... I think this one, they do do a good job of kind of referencing stuff without repeating paragraphs worth of stuff where I'm bored, but just enough. And it's even good, even though we just read it, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know what, there are enough uh, new characters in this half of the book. I mean, there are pretty much no old characters except for old Mercurio and Ashlyn and like a few of the teachers make appearances, but it's not like... Well, we've killed off more people, so, you know. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, the other thing that we learn is that Scavia and the Cardinal Duomo are still alive, so I was wrong. <laughs> and they're not on the same side. I know. Okay, let's talk about that because that was like a pretty huge revelation. Yeah. And I honestly think I'm still a little bit confused just because for some reason I just think of them both as like the bad guy and I keep forgetting which one's which. Okay, I think I figured it out. So one of them enlisted Ashlyn. That was the Cardinal, right? Cardinal Duomo. Okay. Yep to uh, basically they're both trying to do like these political behind the scenes moves to outpower move the other right right and the cardinal hired ashlyn to, to deliver a map to a certain person right like he wanted ashlyn to sell the map and scavia wanted mia to grab the map intercept the map and kill the woman who was supposed to receive it or who had it. So basically they both want this map though. Yeah, I think so because the map contains like dirty secrets of the red church, I believe, or like it oh. leads to a place where they're where they were are going to reveal dirty secrets of the church and I think Scavia wants it to like keep it safe and I think Cardinal Duomo wants it to get back at the red church. Oh, I didn't realize it had to do with the Red Church specifically. I thought the Red Church oh. was just employed. But that might be because I'm also getting it not mixed up, but there's the map that was referenced in the book about the dark end that Mia has, where she was talking oh, about right. how there was a map that said he fell here where God's grave wasn't. It used to just mm-hmm. be a bay or land. I forget. It used to be something else, and now God's grave is there. And it has like an air. And that's what I was imagining as the map. But those are two separate things. So you are probably right. But that is confusing. Yeah, because there is this other map, but we don't know what it leads to. But I thought that made sense because, I mean, the big thing that we learned is that um, Ashlyn basically tells Mia, like, the church is the reason your father died. You know, like, yeah, they had a hand in his in him being captured. 
And I think it's interesting that, like, so Scavia is Mia's patron. And she yeah. just learns that, that he's the one who's, like, ordering her assignments. And she didn't know that. Not only is the Red Church protecting the guy that she's trying to kill, mm-hmm. but she's the one actually doing the hired work for him. Yeah. And she finds out that the Red Church knew and was involved in not just helping her dad's murderer, but allowing the murder to happen. Yeah. Right. They orchestrated it. And she's been helping Scavia the whole time because these people she's killing are people who are standing in the way of his reelection, which is just like, oh. Yeah. Because he's technically still elected, but he's served four... He's basically a monarch who claims to be an elected official. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that... Um, so, we know Cardio Duomo is entirely against the Red Church, and I think it, it was revealed that the only reason Scavia is working with the Red Church is because the Red Church protects its patrons, so he yeah. can't ever be harmed. Like, he can't, like, no one can come to the Red Church and be like... I'm, I want to hire someone to kill Scavia. No one's going to hire them. Which is, yeah. like, super smart for him to do, but the Cardinal, like, hates the fact that Scavia is doing business with the church, essentially. Yeah. Do you think... Okay, this might be totally off-base. Do you think that it's possible that either one of Domo and Scavia will turn on the other and, like, become an ally for Mia, or do you think she's going to ultimately mm. kill them both? I think it depends on a couple things, because... I think she is going to try and take down the Red Church, but that would... Af- so afterwards, Afterwards, right? yeah. But that would mean that she would have to join up with Cardinal, Cardinal Duomo, because they're the two people who, like, both really want to take down the church. And I don't... I can't see her, like, teaming up with someone yeah. who... Sh- I don't know. But I didn't necessarily think she would team up with Ashley. I was just going to say either, that. You know? So, yeah. So, she's still... Her number one priority is Duomo and Scape... Mm -hmm. but she's basically not aligned with the Red Church anymore and doing this behind their backs because it's literally against their code. And the deal is sort of Ashlyn, who killed Jessamine and has been a traitor the whole time, was like revealing all these secrets to her and basically saying, I'll help you kill your two if you then help me take the Red Church down afterwards. Which seems like a solid deal. Yep, that's that's exactly the deal they've worked out. And to your point, it makes sense that she would also want to, like, not just an IOU, you owe me thing, but if she blames the Red Church for her dad, it makes sense that she'd also ultimately want to take them down as well. So, but I still feel like I like the way things are playing out, but I feel like there's more secrets to come. And it, you know, these political things are very interesting. So, I feel like there will definitely be like more betrayals, more people switching sides. And also, like, I kind of like that Mia can't stop thinking about Ashlyn. Like, I still miss Trek, R.I.P. I really do miss him, but... Okay, so is he really dead? He must be really dead, right? I think he's really dead because now they're, like, <sighs> really shipping Ashlyn as Mia's next love interest. And I kind of... I'm, like, I'm here for it. I kind of like it. Okay, I'm not opposed to that relationship necessarily, but... I still, there's just something unanswered about the fact that Trick's body was never found. And maybe mm-hmm. it's just, we've read too many of these books where, like, people come back from the dead or whatever. But between <laughs> that and wondering who her brother is, those are the mm-hmm. two that I'm, like, not convinced are really dead. Okay. But I That's thought fair. we would see Trick by now. So maybe he is. Maybe or... we'll never hear anything else about him. And, like, at the end of the third book, I'll be like, he's still alive out there somewhere, guys. <laughs> You know what I hope doesn't happen what? is I really hope that Mia doesn't all of a sudden like 
give in to her feelings for Ashlyn and like realize that she loves her and then Trick comes back and all of a sudden it's like a love triangle because that would be annoying. <laughs> I don't know though because so I don't I still don't trust Ashlyn. Like I don't like like Trick I feel like was loyal like he brought out good sides. Like Ashlyn and Mia are an interesting pairing but I don't think they're necessarily like good for each other or bring out the best in each other. So I don't know how much I like want that actually they bring they like enable the worst of each other (laughs) yeah yeah and also like I struggled a little bit with this half of the book because like the first book I loved it I thought it was Mm -hmm. great this second half or this second book was a little hard for me to get through and I was trying to think of why like I wasn't super excited to pick it up every time I had to um and I think it, it was because there are no characters who you like really love and root for like, I respect Mia's mission, but I don't particularly like her as a person, and mm-hmm. nor do I really like Ashlyn. Like, all of them are just a little bit too evil to really want good things to happen to them. I don't know. They're just, like, everyone is just so awful. Yeah, but I guess I'm not really reading it for good things. Like, even Mia, I don't really think good things will happen to her. I think, like, I hope that she survives long enough to get revenge, I guess, but I don't expect it to be, like, an easy road or a happy ending at the end of the day like I would if it was like a character I respected but I kind of see what you mean I think I'm more interested in the world here and by world I don't Mm -hmm. just mean like the physical world and like the rules of like the dark and magic and stuff although that's a part of it I think also this like idea of these like layers of political power and even what we're learning about like the role of slaves in this world like I love that we're Mm -hmm. seeing these other layers and other people and other positions that aren't 100% 100% tied into Mia and her mission and I like seeing how all that stuff plays together and that's what keeps me coming back I think I agree like okay. I don't me I don't like Mia's not a hero no one's really a hero in this and no and I and I can't think of any other book that I've read where I didn't like any of the characters because the closest thing I was coming to was um when we read Young Elites and that oh, yeah. whole book was about like the main character is an anti-hero like she's not a good a great person Mm -hmm. but there were other characters in that book that were so lovable that and even though you know some of them were flawed they were just you felt like a genuine love for those for the other characters and I don't have that here like there's no character in the book that I love but it kind of reminds me of vicious and vengeful because I didn't I don't think I liked any of those characters maybe maybe The the little girl Sydney yeah but I don't know. I kind of, I also don't hate them all. Like, I don't think they're redeeming, but they're believable. And they're not evil mm-hmm. for the sake of being evil. They're, like, evil for a reason. Yes. They're so, good characters. Yeah. They're, like, well-written characters. I just don't like them. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's fair. <laughs> I wouldn't want to meet any of them in real life. This wouldn't be no. a book I'd want to, like, actually no. live in. Yeah. So should we talk about some of the new characters in this now that... In yeah. The, in her now secret plan to trick the Red Church and kill her revenge... Target? Yes. <laughs> Is that the word? <laughs> so she was um, sold. She wanted to be sold to the Lion of Leonidas, Leonidas mm-hmm. which is a gladiator ring. But instead, his daughter outbids him and, she, and Mia is sold to Leona. Which is also funny because we find out Leona was married mm. to uh, Re- Remus. Justicus Remus. Justicus Remus. And... As we know, he moved into her family home when he, like, killed off her whole family. So it is just interesting that she's, like, back in her old home, didn't even know this woman, 
And yeah, so it's funny because it's like the daughter of the guy she wanted to be with, but then also this connection to like she killed this woman's husband and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she has a bunch of other gladiator, I wouldn't call them friends, um, co-gladiators. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, co-workers. Well, I guess once she's officially, because it takes a while for her to like prove herself as a gladiator, right? So once she's officially welcomed into the group, they do not welcome her until that point, but. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh, they're so awful. The one who like kept peeing in their food. I know. Oh my god. What the hell? Butcher, was that his name? I don't even remember that. Yeah. (laughs) And then Mateo. That was so sad because I actually really liked Mateo. And then he died like within like the first 20 seconds of the winnowing, which was like the trial they had to pass. And I was just like, God damn it. I kind of love it. I mean, not love it. That's wrong. But same with like Jessamine dying because part of me, even she was setting it up like, um, Oh, I'm not going to kill you when your back is turned because we're like, I was expecting some kind of like thing between the two of them eventually. And then she just like dies while doing her job and helping me out. Ashlyn stabs her with a poison knife or whatever. Totally forgot Jessamine died. Yeah. And it's just, I I like how we can't trust that people are going to stick around. Like, I think that we can trust (laughs) Mia will survive this fight. And I think in general, Mia's going to make it through the end of the book unless Darkens can, no, they can't come back to life because Cassius would have. Um... But besides Mia, I don't feel like we have any guarantees that other characters aren't, like, on the chopping block all the time. True. And that includes her new friend, uh, Sidonius. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah, he used to work with Mia's father. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And also seems to be loyal to her father. So Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, Jessamine's family who, like, like, everyone thinks her dad was a traitor now, but he's like, no... He was the true whatever. Yeah. The true leader. The yeah. real guy in charge. <laughs> um, but what about Furion? Hey, let's talk about Furion. He's so, interesting. He's also Darken. But when Mia tries to talk to him and be like, hey, brother, let's learn about each other. He was like, I'm nothing like you. I'm faithful to that god whose name I can't pronounce. A-A. Uh, <laughs> uh. Uh. So, <laughs> okay, my question for you. Does he not know he's Darken? Does he not want to tell Mia what's going on? No, or does he, knows. he So he just is trying, he's just like ashamed of it and trying to hide it? I don't even think that because remember like the first time Mia has to fight in front of the, um, what's his name? The ex, ex the Exicus or whatever. Yep. Uh-huh. What's his name? Executus. He uses his shadows to, like, influence her. So he clearly, like, knows he's darkened, knows how to use his shadows, isn't afraid of using them. I'm not convinced. Really? Even, even with that example, because it's the only time we've seen him do anything, and he seems so confused about, like, the passengers and some of this other stuff. Mm. I think that it was because of him, but I don't know that it was, like, a conscious, intentional thing. Like, it could... I don't really know how all this stuff works, but what if it was, like, an emotional thing oh. where he, like, controls the shadows but isn't really aware of it and, like... Or, like, felt, like, a pull on something that he usually has a pulse on and, like, didn't even, like, mean to... I don't know. I'm just... I'm, like, I can't figure him out, I guess, is the moral of the story. So I'm not convinced he knows as much as he might be... I can't tell if he's hiding stuff, if he's in denial to himself, if he's, like, upset about it, or if he's just, like, doesn't like Mia and is doing his own thing. Like, I just... I can't quite figure him out. Well, he's definitely hiding stuff because we know that we learned that he and Leona, the lady of the house, are having an affair. Yes, but what we don't know, because he is a slave, like, she obviously wants to be sleeping with him. I am also not sure if he's, like, into it or just, like, has no choice, you know? Yeah, he might not be a willing participant. 
But I also feel like the reason she's sleeping with him, I, I almost feel like it's because he's Darkin. I, I wonder if, like, she's drawn to him because he has this special power and, like, that's why she chose him. Maybe. And, like, does she want to use him? I don't I don't know. And she has some major... She's not just trying to, like, prove herself on her own or, like, prove herself as a woman. She There's, like, some major history with her dad, too, that we're still trying to yeah. unwind. Something is going on there. And even the executed <laughs> guy used to work for her dad and was, like, his main gladiator back in the day before he won his freedom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because the executive executus, he's the one who won that tournament, the um, Benetus Magni, mm-hmm. and he, so he was a slave who earned his freedom from her father, and he is also in love with Leona. Oh, it's so twisted. Well, and we, I guess we didn't even talk about this. So basically, Mia is doing all of this so that she can win the same tournament because this is the one place where she'll see both Duomo and Scavia within striking range, and the Cardinal won't be wearing the Trinity symbol because mm-hmm. he dresses as a beggar to like act out this traditional ceremony thing. Um, so that's why she's like, so she's had to go all the way back to the beginning to like <laughs> win, but she's trying to like win this gladiator competition so that she can kill these two guys. So is that her plan? Like when Scavia yeah. and the Duomo come out to like crown her as the victor, she's just going to stab them? I mean, I don't know about stab specifically, but I think that is her plan to kill them. But then how is she going to get away? I mean, she could escape into the shadows. I guess so. This just seems like an awful long roundabout way to go about... Like, there has to be an easier way to get them on their own. Well, I think the interesting thing is, what they talked about was, she could probably get to one or the other, but, like, once one of them is dead, it would be really hard. It would be even harder to get to the second one. And then she can't go after Skeva without tipping off the Red Church, or, like, the Red Church would be after her. And she can't go after Duomo because he always has his Trinity thing on for the most part, and she can't even look at him. So Right, and the Red Church is already pissed off at her for killing Trick's grandfather without their um, approval. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right, I buy it. I mean, I agree. It might not be the only way, but it, it does, I sort of buy it a little bit because of all these other factors they've laid out. Yeah, and it makes for a good story. And it makes a really <laughs> great story. Um. Okay, what are the other gladiators? Oh, we also have um, the twins. Yep. Bryn and By- Byron? Sure. <laughs> okay the twins yep one who's good at shooting arrows and one who's good at driving horses or chariots yes we don't have a ton of information about them yet like we're still really getting to know them like I don't I don't feel like I have a good grasp on any of these new characters really yet they kind of remind me of Ashlyn and her brother oh, yeah. at the beginning not in terms of I think that they're going to turn out the same way but it's just kind of like a funny like these siblings who kind of help explain and like I don't just like something about it reminds me of Ashlyn and her brother at the beginning of the first book kind of filling that gap of who they were before they became traitors or before we realized they were traitors and having that banter yeah so the other thing that I can't remember if it was them or someone else oh who got sold again from their group to pay off their debt oh right um Marcello yes so we found out part of why he didn't rebel or, like, strike back is because how do they deal with slave rebellions in this world? Uh, was that a footnote? Because I maybe didn't read it. <laughs> so I guess there were, like, two slaves who fell in love and wanted to get married, and for whatever reason they weren't allowed to, so they, like, ran away together, and they were eventually caught, and not only were they m- murdered some gruesome way, I forget oh, what it was right. exactly, but everyone who worked in that household was 
also murdered and the only one mm-hmm. who wasn't murdered was the one who like turned them in but he had to he had like, to like wield the whip right flog everybody or whatever yeah but it's just this idea that not only it's like if you rebel it's not you alone who'd have to deal with the consequences but everyone else who like has become your friends and family yeah it's terrible but it also does establish this idea of like why aren't these gladiators who are such good fighters like you would think he could like i don't know fight his way free or something but the consequences to everyone he knows would be so negative it's too dire i don't know i thought that was just kind of an interesting thing and it makes me nervous about mia and when she bails or when she escapes through the shadows if she gets Ugh. caught what that means for everybody else yeah Because she does have some empathy. She does. And also now Mia overhears uh, Leona say that Leona's planning to sell her. Oh, yeah. And so that would not bode well for her plans. So she is now in the middle of this (laughs) battle because... She really wanted, like, an excuse to prove herself. And so she, they're, like, competing in this storm wash, Benedis. And she just poisons all of her other teammates. Like, she gives them all food <laughs> I kind of love that. I know. So, like, Leona has no choice but to put her in the ring. I mean, she is just so audacious and, like, has such big balls. I, I love it. I was so nervous, though. How do you, like, her excuse for, like, oh, I was too nervous to eat felt a little bit suspicious to me. I was like, I would kind of, sus- but I guess they didn't know that she knew that she was going to be sold. So maybe right. if they had made that public, it would have been different. Why but. would you want to fight a giant worm by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so that's where we ended up. <laughs> In a ring with a giant worm that throws up its stomach. Which is such an interesting way to fight. It has two heads on either end. <laughs> and, yeah, like the sulfuric acid that it vomits up is what is killing people. Yep. And then it, sw- it can also swallow them back down, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it, like, throws up its whole stomach, envelops you in its acid, like, melts you, and then pulls its stomach back in. It, it It's horrific. <laughs> Although I didn't, like, there was, like, one footnote that was, like, who the hell came up with this creature? And I was like, oh, ha-ha, it was you. Pat yourself on the back. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a cool idea. Well, I think I've talked about this on our podcast once before, maybe because this is one of, like, three animal facts that I've just always found fascinating. Mm. But did you know that frogs can't vomit for the most part? No. And so if they, like, ingest something that's bad for them, they will also throw up their whole stomach and they'll clean it out with their right hand. For some reason, it's always the right hand because of how the muscles are and then swallow their stomach again, basically. No. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I wish I could do that. And I guess they learned this on like a trip to space. Like they were testing out stuff with animals in space and like the motion (laughs) made the frog vomit or something. And that's where they learned this thing about frogs. So then, and I was texting you earlier about what I should research, but Mm -hmm. I already had this um, this frog thing. So I started there and based off this wretch worm and I read all these weird things about animals and vomiting and defense <laughs> mechanisms and like, I don't even know. It's kind of a weird tangent to go on. But I also learned, do you know anything about sea cucumbers? No, I don't. Well, they, they just seem like really strange creatures in general. I didn't really know much about them before. They, like, eat a bunch of dead stuff on the bottom of the ocean. The only thing I know about them is I used to play this computer game called Odell Down Under, and if you ate the sea cucumber, you always died. Oh, no. Like, if you ate the sea cucumber, you were done for. So, one of their defense mechanisms is they, like, poop out some of their guts that are extremely acidic as well. Yeah, 
so basically it poops out like its digestive tract from its butt and it like uses that it's like a bunch of these like wiry or you know like stringy gut things and it'll like tangle up the attacker that way and then it also has like poison in it that gets released like a toxin that gets released but that like kind of sounds exactly like this worm right Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it sounds exactly like, 100% like it. So then I was reading about animals that can't vomit and how bad that is. So I guess one of the reasons oh. why rat poison works is because when rats eat something bad, they can't vomit. So they, like, the Whoa. there's some muscle that only pushes things in one direction in their body. And then also, for some reason, they're, like, something in their brain won't allow them to vomit. So they've, like, developed a really good sense of smell and taste. So in general, rats will avoid bad food really effectively, except rat poison is one example of when they can't. Mm. But a lot of other small animals and, like, rabbits can't vomit either. And rabbits, actually, one of the issues is they also, like, clean themselves and cats will, like, spit up hairballs, you know? Rabbits can't do that. And so that causes, like, a lot of issues for them because they, like, ingest too much of their own fur, which is crazy. And then horses also can't vomit. So I was, like, on this weird tangent where I was, like, this is, like, fascinating me. So as gross as vomiting is, it's actually, like, a really good defense mechanism because it allows you to basically eject poison from your body, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then I was reading about other animals that have various ways of using bodily fluids to protect themselves. So there's a lot of random, like, mostly birds, I think I was reading about, that will, like, vomit on their young so that predators will leave them alone. Hmm, That's interesting. Or there was, there was even this, um, it was like a vulture or something that, like, when it's being attacked, it will vomit to try and distract the predator from attacking it. Is it because they think that the animal's sick and they don't want to attack or eat a sick animal? I think part of it is just the, like, again, to digest food, you have a lot of, like, Acid. yeah, in your yeah. stomach, and then, then it, like, smells bad and it just, like, is not attract. but there's a lot of poison oh. that creatures will vomit up, um... But then, from there, have you heard about the Malaysian exploding ant? Yes. You did tell me about this. Okay, I thought, okay. Wait, tell me again. But yeah, so for those who haven't heard that episode, um, so when they, when these ants are being attacked by something, they basically swarm over whatever's attacking them, and their bodies burst and releases a poison. So they, like, do, like, these massive suicide missions to protect the overall nest, even though... Like, the individuals die. And then I was reading about, I forget where it was, but there's, like, a termite species that does something really, really similar, except they are a little bit smarter about it, and they'll send the older termites first (laughs) on the suicide mission. So they'll actually do, like, the older you are, the more likely you are to be sent on one of these, like, exploding suicide missions. They're like, you lived your life. So that the young can, like, maintain. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And then I read about, this is all kind of gross stuff, but whatever. Um, So... I didn't know that millipedes are one of the most poisonous animals on the planet. Oh you just said that and I freaked. Uh, millipedes and centipedes are the worst things on the entire planet. Yeah. Like, like my number one, like, ugh, I can't even think about them. Well, I never liked them to start with, but I didn't know how poisonous they were. Oh, that's even worse. They basically, like, spray cyanide on themselves so that nothing will eat it. Or if it does, it'll die, ugh. basically. So... There's the black lemur um, has no poison-creating ability. So sometimes what it'll do is when it spots a millipede, it'll attack it just enough so that it'll start releasing poison. And then the lemur will put some of the poison on itself to protect it against other insects. 
Isn't that crazy? That's a lot. Yeah. And then I read, I read all these like just weird things. There's this one kind of octopus that can, so some octopuses, I guess, can, they're just really smart creatures in general and have a lot of cool defense mechanisms, but one of them will detach all eight of its legs to like distract whatever's attacking it. So it'll like release eight different limbs and somehow get away. I don't know how it gets away. And then a few days later, its legs grow back. No. Can you imagine seeing that? No. That's horrific. That's that's not as bad as the millipede, but that's horrific. No, there's just weird. And then there's this uh, frog that breaks its own bones when it's threatened and uses them as spines to protect itself. So it's called what? the hairy frog. I don't even know how it does this, but somehow it like breaks its bones so hard that they protrude from the skin. I think that I remember talking about this. Yeah. I think I researched that for something. Okay. Yeah, some of the stuff sounded a little bit familiar, but I couldn't remember what we had talked about before. And then I went down this just, like, rabbit hole. So it's just fascinating to think about. Um... No, I can't stop thinking about millipedes. <laughs> I'm I was sorry. At, there was a girl in my high school who had a pet millipede, and mm-hmm. she used to bring it to school every day in, like, a little clear, um, like, hermit crab case. And I just remember, like... It was, I'm like gagging. It was the worst thing I've, like, I can't, I don't, I can't think about it. It was so gross. Well, now that I know they're so poisonous, that seems like a really risky thing to have as a pet. Oh my god. There was also, I think it was like a newt that can somehow push its ribs through its skin too. They say it doesn't hurt the newt, but again, there's like these like wolverine-like creatures out there. How does that not hurt it? It just sends, it's kind of like the frog where it like sends its bones through its skin. Yeah, I guess so. Can you imagine how cool it would be if we could do that? I mean, it literally reminds me of wolverine. Isn't that that? Yes, 100%. Yep. It sounds like it would hurt, though. I can't imagine, I don't know. Having I can't a... imagine, like, wanting to do that. But I guess if the alternative is you die, like, yeah, okay, I'd send my bones through my skin. Yeah, I mean, if it would prevent something from eating me, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about this one, too, before, but there's a lizard that shoots blood from its eyes. Yes, we did talk about that one, yep. So, I, I know we talked about animals defending themselves in different ways, but I, I remembered this frog thing from, again, it's like, <laughs> elephants can't jump, frogs spit out their stomachs and clean it out, and most polar bears are left pawed. Those are like my three random animal facts from before <laughs> the podcast. Well, I hadn't heard about the frog throwing up its stomach, so that's pretty cool. But you said last week that you were going to tell us about gladiators this week. I did do some research about gladiators, and I know, like... I forget what book it was that we read where I did a lot of research about gladiators. I know. I was trying to remember, too, because what would it have been? I was like, what book was that? It must have been, oh, maybe it was Young Elites, because didn't they have, like, a ring, a fight in the ring? No, that was Dueling. I thought we did Dueling for, oh, yeah, you're right. And then we did Dueling again for Red Rising. Yeah. I don't remember, but I did find some new stuff. Okay. Honestly, you can tell me everything again, too, and I'll be like, wow, that's fascinating. (laughs) It's been so long, I know. Um, So I learned that um, not all gladiators were slaves. Most of the earliest gladiators were. They were, like, usually um, people who had been conquered by other nations or people who had committed crimes. But by the first century AD, um, it was more and more common for people who were just lured by the thrill of battle or who wanted to win prize money. Um, Free men began voluntarily signing up with gladiator schools in the hope of winning, um, you know, glory, fame, prize money. Because, I mean, gladiators back then kind of 
were like our modern day football players celebrities yeah they yeah. were celebrities so much so that um there's evidence that wealthy women used to pay tons and tons of money for jars of their favorite gladiators sweat Ew. like they would sell the gladiators sweat as like an aphrodisiac to wealthy women or to like use in their perfume and if you weren't, like, someone of power to start with, I feel like there weren't a lot of ways to change your position back then, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them were um, freelance warriors who were either, like, downtrodden or, like, desperate, down on their luck, who needed an excuse to make quick money and turn their fortune around. Mm-hmm. But some were upper-class people, some were knights, some were senators. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they said that... Some gladiators were senators who wanted to demonstrate their strength in order to get elected, which I thought that was kind of interesting. So yes, they weren't all slaves. I guess just because that was like really valued back then too, right? Your physical totally stamina, ability, yeah, your mm-hmm. power with the sword. I, I mean, but I just can't imagine. Like if I was already a senator, I wouldn't yeah. want to go like fight to my death or something. Okay, well, this brings me to my next point. Um, They didn't fight to the death very often. Oh. Well, they didn't intentionally fight to the death very often. (laughs) (laughs) So the the fights were pretty strictly run. They had very, like, set rules, set obligations, set regulations. Um, They usually were pretty fair about matching men of similar size and experience. There were referees who oversaw the fights, and they would try and stop the fight as soon as someone became seriously wounded. Could you also just say, like, I mean, like, it was probably extremely frowned upon, but could you, like, call surrender at any point or no? Oh, absolutely. Yes. In fact, um, the majority of games at the time involved, it was like a competitive fight, and then they would fight until one gladiator would raise a finger to yield. And then the organizer, usually, like, the emperor, would decide whether to kill or spare the loser. But, like, unless he had a horribly, cowardly, disastrous fight, he would almost always spare the one who yielded. And they were actually trained more on how to um, defeat an opponent without killing them. So, like, they were trained to subdue rather than kill. And, like, one way they would do this I thought this was fascinating they would often have like a trident and a net and so the objective was to ensnare your opponent and then wound them with the trident but not go for a killing blow interesting which like totally reminded me of uh Finnick in the Hunger Games oh yeah (laughs) that was like his method of fighting in the arena yep (laughs) oh also if there was like a long match that was dragging on and like neither party was winning or losing a ref could call an end to that and just be like, okay, you're boring the crowds. Like, this is taking too long. You you both win. Congrats. <laughs> or you both lose. Yeah. <laughs> but it was more about, like, you wanted to put on an exciting show for the crowd. Or, or like, that's what the crowds wanted. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes the um, wounds that they would get would be deadly. But they were not trained to fight to the death. Because if you think about it, gladiators were pretty expensive. Yeah. That's to house and train and feed and, and, you know, all of that. So they're... Leona can tell you. Yeah. I mean, the people who owned <laughs> them didn't want them harmed. Especially if mm-hmm. you have, like, a prize gladiator fighter. Like, that is a huge money-making 
thing for you. I mean, it's it's like horrible to talk about people that way because a lot of them were slaves, but mm-hmm. it was rare. It was rare that you would send someone out to purposely die. That being said, most gladiators only lived to their mid twenties, and historians estimate that one in five, between one in five or one in and one in ten gladiator matches left one of the gladiators dead wow that's not great odds (laughs) no so um they also said that a standard in a standard career for a gladiator they would only see about two or three fights a year and that was over a period of like three to five years which is like a lot fewer fights than i imagined yeah um and after three to five years then he could win his freedoms but they also said that between 20% and 40% of all gladiators never made it to five years. Hmm. Um, This is kind of interesting. So I learned that gladiator fights were originally part of funeral ceremonies. Why? So when a aristocrat died or like a wealthy noble passed away, their families would arrange for um, like matches, competitions held between, usually it was either between slaves or condemned prisoners and it was like this dark eulogy that they would do to celebrate the person who had died. Hmm. And this is interesting. So the Romans believed that human blood helped purify a dead person's soul. And so there's a lot of historians believe that these gladiator contests that were performed at funerals was kind of, um, it had like a human sacrifice aspect to it where they would fight and spill their blood on the ground, and that blood would, like, purify their loved one's soul. Interesting. Yeah. So it became really popular during the reign of Julius Caesar because he staged a ton of gladiator games in honor of his father and his daughter when they died, and they were extremely popular, and that's kind of, like, when gladiator fighting took off. Hmm. It's it's just crazy to think, too. I mean, same with, like, public hangings or anything, and I think we've probably talked about it before, but it's, like, it's weird that this was a form of entertainment for, like, the masses. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Like, it's one thing to enjoy Game of Thrones where, you know, people die in bloody horrific ways, but, like, you know, it's acting. It's fake. Mm -hmm. You know it's not really happening. But, like, to actually see a human being go through that and think that that's something to, like, rally around and get excited to see is like it's so mind-boggling hey kids what should we do today like there's no zoos around here let's go watch some people kill each other put on your sunday (laughs) best kids yeah it's just crazy to think about yeah um i know we talked about this the last time we discussed gladiators but um i always think it's interesting that you know the famous like thumbs up thumbs down oh yeah Mm -hmm. so that first i don't know how that became translated into thumbs down means death and thumbs up means you live that's like somehow i don't know why that caught on but that's not true it's actually (laughs) the opposite because so if a gladiator was wounded or or like was defeated um his fate was often determined by the spectators so the emperor had the final say in in whether the felled warrior would, would live or whether he would be killed but often people would, you know, cast their votes to be like, yes, let him live, or yes, let him die. It, it, was, it was rare that they would be killed. But mm-hmm. um, the thumbs down actually means mercy. And if you hmm. think about it, it means the thumbs down, it means put down your swords. So you have this, like, 
this finger that's jutting down and like if the finger symbolizes a sword thumbs down is put down your swords everyone's walking away from this i guess that makes sense it it's just funny that it's so different Mm -hmm. and if you have thumbs up the idea of like if again your your thumb represents a sword like thumb up stab him kill him he's dying today so then if that so if it was thumbs up um, the gladiator who won would, like, essentially deliver a killing blow. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> so. On that cheery note. <laughs> um, I know. I'm trying to think. There's, like, other, there's other interesting facts. Um, we discussed last time that they were, there were women gladiators, yep. which, which is, um, kind of an odd subject because there's not a whole lot of evidence that they were taken seriously as, as fighters or warriors it was kind of more like a erotic display to have like two women fighting each other Mm -hmm. so but there were um a few women who who uh like demonstrated that they were really good at single-handed combat and were like really ferocious warriors um so around the second century ad there was a famous match between two women who were named Amazon and Achilles, and there's like a marble etching that describes this fight, and they said that the um, they fought to an honorable draw. Well, good for them. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. We do have obviously Mia and a couple other women, but it's still very male dominated mm-hmm. from what we've seen so far in this world as well. Yeah, it's true, and a lot of it's because like Mia is so small, people underestimate her. Yeah. Which, as we learned, is a dangerous thing to do. Well, and she's done a lot of, like, uh, I mean, she she has this assassin mindset a little bit, too, mm-hmm. with, like, kind of this trickery element to a lot of what mm-hmm. she does. But, but yeah. It's, it is interesting, though, to, again, look at book one was, like, assassin school. Book two is, like, gladiator wars. I'm so curious <laughs> to see what is going to happen in book three. Oh, my gosh. Me, too. I have no idea what to expect, honestly. Something epic, for sure. Okay, so do you have any predictions for the rest of this book? Um, yes. I think she's going to kill one or the other of Scavia and Cardinal, or Cardio Duomo. I don't think she's going to kill both. I think she is going to win the Venetus Mundi, um, but I think, like, something's going to happen where she can't kill both people, and then they figure out that she's... I feel like she's going to make a mistake and, like, the Red Church is going to be onto her and she's going to have to, like, flee the Red Church somehow. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to kill both of them, but I do agree mm-hmm. that she'll, the Red Church will realize what she's up to and become, she won't be in, secretly opposing them, she'll be openly opposing them. And I also think, just to be different from you, that she doesn't win the contest at the end and has to do something else in order to kill them both. Okay. That's, that's going to be my theory. Okay. Well, I guess we should keep reading so we find out. Let's do it. Okay. Um, is it my turn to tell a joke this week? I think it is. Okay, I have one. Okay, good. Because I have none. Uh, what do you call a beat-up Batman? Um, this is so dumb. I don't know. What? Bruised Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so stupid. <laughs> Unlike my favorite one, um... What do you call it when Batman leaves church early? Oh, you've told me this one before. Um, I can't remember, though. What is it again? Christian Bale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one is better. But they're both pretty funny. I've told that one before, but... 
Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. And thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you are enjoying this series. Yeah, enjoy reading and hopefully you're all old enough to be reading this. I still feel uncomfortable with the adult (laughs) material. I mean, whatever. I won't tell you what to read because I read bad stuff when I was young too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is not, this is our least YA book yet, but. Yes, um, in case you haven't figured that out. (laughs) Yeah, if you've made it this far, you already know that. (laughs) All right, anything else? I'm, I'm good, I'm set. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.